Good morning, uh, those of you in the Fellowship Hall and had the opportunity to greet those over in the Welcome Center just a, just a little bit ago. And uh, we are glad that you are here this morning. And as I said over there in the other room, I am really glad that you are here this hour. I genuinely mean it. After last week when uh, we had to cut our worship time short, and uh, the good news is that there was no fire last week. Uh, some have asked what was wrong. There was no uh, fire last week, and then some said, well, then who, who pulled the fire alarm? Did someone pull the fire alarm? And I know none, none of us would do that. And I said, well, um, no, I don't think so, but I, I've kind of thought through if you did pull the fire alarm or wanted to pull the fire alarm, there might be a couple of reasons for that. And these came up uh, over the course of Sunday, as I saw some of you and throughout the week. Um, if you did pull the fire alarm, maybe it was because you were sick and tired of getting to lunch late and you wanted to get to lunch early, all right? Or if you did pull the fire alarm, uh, you wanted to head to Target. I thought some of you were over there from what I heard. Uh, some of you were over there at Target. That's fine. That's good, all right? Uh, as I told the uh, other room, make sure, though, that when you give your tithes and offerings, I think, I think God did not give you permission to go shopping for free with last week's tithes and offerings. I, I think he meant it to make sure you, you got your tithes and offerings into the Lord. It's his, all right? I, I think. All right, or maybe, here's what someone said to me. They said, Pastor, there sure is an awful lot of orange around here last Sunday. You remember what last Monday night was, right? Condolences to you. Uh, Tigers, great year, great year, but someone might have said enough. I can't take any more. Or maybe someone just said, hey, um, I do not want the 1030 hour to have to endure what the pastor just preached through over at 9 o'clock, so we're going to set him free. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, uh, no, no one uh, set off the fire alarm. It was an electrical glitch uh, in the system that triggered that thing, and we addressed it this week, and so we're very, very grateful. Everyone was safe. Thank you for your cooperation. For those of you in the other room, thank you. Thank you for those children, uh, those student and children workers. Wow, thank you so much for um, getting the kids out safely, and so we were just very, very grateful for um, God's grace in all of that, and as I, as I said um, uh, to uh, over in the worship center, I wanted to come to you here in this hour uh, to share what I preached last week to the nine o'clock hour because it was very, very personal and it was very, very near and dear to my heart. And I think it comes uh, right from a heart that is looking at the word and wanting the word of God and the spirit of God to transform this place this year. And we have the privilege of coming to the book of James next week. We're going to start in a series uh, called A Guide for Authentic Living from the book of James. And James is this incredible book written by um, the brother of Jesus. James chapter 1. Let's put it on the screen so that you can take a look at that. James is a, uh, a servant of God, it says, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. All right, so this is how the book begins. And we're just going to give you a little preview and then roll into um, our time from uh, Colossians this morning. James is the brother of Jesus. As far as we know, Jesus had, in the Gospels, it says he had uh, four brothers and at least two sisters. So he comes from a large family. And here's the, here's the amazing thing about Jesus' family. No one believed in him, at least not early on. And it says uh, over in the Gospel of Mark, there was a time when all the crowds were starting to gather around Jesus, and they went and they tried to restrain him. In, order, in other words, to, to pull him back. Because why? Because they thought he was out of his mind. How many of you have brothers. All right, raise your hand. This room and the other room. How many of you have brothers? All right, if your brother claimed to be the son of God, what would your response be? He's out of his mind, right? You know you would. So let's give James some slack here. He's out of his mind what he's doing. But here, quickly, is the amazing thing is that he comes to faith in Christ. He comes to follow his brother and give his life to his brother, and that's why he can write that's why he can write, I'm a servant of God and of my brother who is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and he's been transformed. At some point in Jesus' ministry, or maybe right after he uh, ascends into heaven, we don't know. At some point, though, James becomes not only a follower of Jesus, but he becomes a leader of the first church there in Jerusalem. And from that church, he writes to those, as it says in James 1.1, to those who are scattered abroad, to the 12 tribes. Primarily, James ministered and served Jewish believers there in Jerusalem. This is before Jews and Gentiles began worshiping together and, and growing together in Christ. But he sends a letter to them which is so gut-level practical for you and for me that I want us to look at to look at it, and, and what we find is a guide for authentic living. What we find are issues like suffering. Next week, we're going to learn about those who are going through tests and those who are going through trials and those who are going through, through times of suffering. And, and there's a point to it, and there's a, there, there's a process you go through it, and, and certainly there is pain. Every single one of us will experience it at some point in our lives. This this, uh, this notion of suffering. How do we get through it? That's, that's for next week. And then James talks about uh, how we discriminate against other people, primarily how the, how the uh, poor were being discriminated against, how there's this favoritism in the church. And, and he's going to talk about conflict and fighting. And in particular, he's going to talk about how we speak to one another. Uh, in chapter 3, he, he devotes quite a bit of a time to say, listen, Listen, I want you to live uh, life authentically in light of, of my brother, in light of what the scripture and what the Holy Spirit ha has said through me. And I want you to speak in such a way that you, you bless and you love other people. He says, here's the crazy thing. Some of you with the same tongue and with the same mouth bless the Lord God. And then with that same mouth, you turn around and you curse other people. It kind of hits home, doesn't it? And he's going to meet some of these issues head on. He's going to meet how we spend our money, our desires, our, our consumer mindset. He's going to talk about effective prayer. He's going to talk about all of these things. And so here's what James and the Holy Spirit have in store for us over the next couple of weeks. And that is this, that, that we want to hold up the word of God and say, here is a guide for authentic living. This is what the scriptures teach us about daily walking in accordance with God's pattern for our life. And as we hold up James, we hold up the word, not only do we see what God has revealed to us, but then like a mirror, it reflects our heart. So out in the open is the word of God and out in the open is our heart. And my longing for you and for me over the course of the next few weeks is to live authentically, to live in such a way where we're walking in accordance with the design and with the pattern that that God has established there in the book of James. So that's where we're heading. But before we get there, before we get there, I think it's important that we lay the groundwork and we begin to understand what does it mean then uh, to live authentically? That's what we're going to look at. But what does it mean to prepare our hearts for authentic living? What does it mean for us not just to look at the book of James and say, okay, I've got a list of things to do now, but what does it mean for you and for me to prepare our hearts, to kind of till the soil, if you will, to break up the hard ground that is there so that when we come to James, when we come to 2016, we are ready to see God transform us as individuals, transform our marriages, transform our relationships, transform this body, transform people because of Taylor's First Baptist Church. What kind of a heart must you and I have in order to see authentic living come about? Well, let's go to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Colossians chapter 1, and I, I want to I want you to, to read with me. It'll be on the screen. You can find it on your digital device. You can find it in the pew rack right in front of you. I want everyone to look at this passage with me real quick. And, and here is going to be the, the model for authentic living. This is uh, from the Apostle Paul. This isn't from James. James just starts right out in verse 2. 
Count it joy when you, when you fall into various tests and trials, all right? He doesn't have a prayer for these, these churches, even though he loves these house churches. But Paul will often come to his people, and he's writing, and he will have a prayer for them. And I think the heart of Paul here in this scripture is my heart. It captures my desire. It captures my longing for every single one of you here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. It captures my heart for you to walk authentically with God and with others. So listen to what he writes here in verse 3 of Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love, so there's faith and there's love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope, laid up for you in heaven. Those three things, faith, hope, and love. Paul sees them in Colossians. I see them in you, Taylors. Faith, hope, and love. They're evident. It's a beautiful thing to see the body of Christ demonstrate these characteristics inside of them. Of this, of these things, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So these fruits, faith, hope, and love come from this amazing good news, the gospel. And this gospel has come to you. Verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So faith, hope, and love is here. It's evident because the gospel has come to this place. This church is 150 years old. God's grace in the gospel has come to it, and it continues to grow. It continues to grow in you, but it continues to grow in the world. You know, we, we uh, this past week had our interest trip meeting, and we had two of those meetings. One last Sunday, one this past Wednesday, with the hopes of sending over 200 of you, 262 slots available to go out to the ends of the earth. And here's my prayer that we fill every one of those slots. Here's my vision, that we fill every one of those slots with people who will take the gospel that is in you to the ends of the earth. And my prayer that 2016 is the year in which that adopted people group that we uh, have been praying for and that we've been working towards and that we've sent one person from among us out there, that this is the year that we will be able to stand up at some point and say to you, the gospel that was in you, Taylor's First Baptist Church, is now in a people group in the middle of the, uh, of the Middle East, r- literally the ends of the earth where according to to those that are helping us at the international mission where there's not one known believer there look how many believers are in this room and in, in in the other room there's not one known believer worshiping jesus there maybe this is the year i pray it is that i'll be able to stand up and say to you He did it by his grace. He did it. He saved that one believer. And a movement begins where the gospel that is growing at Taylor's First Baptist Church for 150 years has now come to a people that has no gospel and the gospel begins to grow there. Isn't that beautiful? That's what we long for. And Paul says, take heart, church. This Paul says, take heart, church. Faith, hope, and love are here. And the gospel is growing in us and it's growing elsewhere. But then he comes to verse 9 and listen to what he says. He says, I'm not done praying for you though. And I'm not done longing for you. And so, he says, from the day we heard, we have not stopped to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will to all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul is saying, he's saying, look, church, the gospel has come, but I want it to keep moving through you. Taylors, the gospel has come. It's bearing fruit. I see faith. I see hope. I see love. But you know what? There's more to come. And there's some of you who, who are, are, are getting left behind. There are some of you who perhaps are, are new to Taylor's. 
you're just getting started. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. There are some of you here who have never entered into the family of faith. You don't know Christ. There are some that have been believers and are walking with Jesus and are living authentic lives. You are are walking with him daily. You are walking according to the pattern of the word of God. And you are bearing fruit, as Paul says. Here's the mark of authentic living. Not Not that we... We, we just have a lot of, of knowledge of God that is bearing fruit. So some of you do not know Jesus. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for an awfully long time, and you're bearing fruit. And we have people everywhere in between here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. But here's the amazing thing. The things that I'm about to share with you are really common to all of us and really serve as a framework for us continuing to grow and continuing to bear fruit. And here's what I believe we need to have this morning is a heart for authentic living. It's a foundation. It's a framework. It's the soil that's tilled up. It's just not the doing piece. It's first of all, this Sunday, January 17, opening up our hearts to God in a fresh, new way so that we can continue to connect with Christ in the body and so that we can continue to see our lives get the gospel to other people. So a couple of thoughts this morning. Authentic living and a heart for authentic living. What stops us from living authentically? I just want to mention a couple of things, okay? See if some of these things resonate with you, all right? What, what stops us from, from not living lives according to the pattern of God and bearing fruit? Number one, um, we're apathetic. You know, writers have been writing for a couple of years now how that in most churches. In most churches, churches are seeing a decline. They're seeing an apathy towards engaging in the body, engaging with the body of Christ, engaging in worship. Many people, not like you who are here today, but many people who who are just apathetic towards um, connecting with Christ. And it's just not a matter of church attendance. It's just not a matter of, of, of they're no longer here or they're no longer in life group or Sunday school. Or they're just no longer in Bible study anymore. It's a matter of their lives have become so apathetic that they are now distant from Christ. It's just not a church issue. It's a Christ issue. And many people don't see. They, they just live and they just float. And we all do this, don't we, in, in the seasons of our lives? We just kind of float and we're apathetic and we're distant from Christ. Here's the second thing. We have a consumer mindset. We see the culture all around us and all the things that press in and all of the things that pull us away from Christ. And we expend our time and we expend our money and we extend our, expend our resources. We expend our, our energy on, on all of these other things around us. Or, or we come to the body of Christ, we come to church, and, and we are, are consumers who say, if they don't do this for me and meet my needs, therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to check out. You know people like that. I know people like that. And, and if we're distant because we're apathetic, we're distracted because of the press and the pull of the things around us and the press and the pull of our own hearts. Instead of seeing the body as a place where we love and give, and commit to one another, we see it as a place where we come to receive and to take what we want. And so it becomes very distracting. And that's why people come. That's why people go, in part. That's why in your life and in my life, there are seasons where we're just distracted from Christ. Third thing, there's a hiddenness to our lives. And we're going to address this a little bit, just a second here, and a little bit more detail, but there's a hiddenness in our lives. and um, There's not one family, let me just say this, there's not one family, there's not one individual, there's not anybody that walks into the doors of our church that has a life that is perfect, pain-free, um, free from stress and from tension. Oh, I, I get it, there, there, there are times when things are, are going good, but, but let's, let's just be real with one another here. There are things that we hide and we walk into church. There are things that we hide and we walk through life and we 
we tuck them away, whether it's some sin that we're struggling with or some hurt or some pain or a way that a son or a daughter has mistreated or abused parents or parents have, have mistreated sons and daughters, whether it's stress in, the, in, in marriages. I, I, I can't tell you, folks, the stress and the strain that are on marriages today. That's why at the end of February, the end of February, we're going to hold a marriage conference. Let me just say this. the end of February, we're going to hold a marriage conference, and we encourage you to come. I encourage every married couple to come. If your marriage is perfect and you've never had a fight and everything is, is June and Ward Cleaver, that's an old, old illustration right there, right? I saw the reruns. If your marriage is like that, don't come. But if your marriage is something that longs to be refreshed or renewed or even rescued. You come into February, Friday night, Saturday. But here's the thing. Um, if when we're apathetic, we're distant. When we're, when we're thinking about ourselves so much, um, we're distracted. When it comes to the hiddenness in our life, we're ashamed and we don't uh, live authentically. The last thing is we're religious. We're awfully good at this. I'm awfully good at this. Been in church my entire life. Came to faith in Christ as a little boy. Was baptized in the fifth grade. Grew up in the church. Grew up in a legalistic background. And here, here's what happens. We become really religious. We become really, really moral. And when we're religious and moral, we become critical and judgmental. And that can keep us. We, we, we become kind of self-righteous. And, and we, we talked about this this past year in 2015 when we looked at the book of Jonah. We can become so self-righteous and so moral that the critical judgmental nature of our lives, even though we think we are walking with Christ, Christ looks at us and, and he uncovers this religious mindset, this moral mindset. And he says that's judgmental and that's critical. These things keep us away from authentic living. So what do we do? How, how do we begin to put our hand to the plow and till the soil of our heart so that when James comes to us and 2016 comes to us, how can we then begin to live authentic lives? It begins with our hearts. Thought number one this morning, a heart for authentic living grows in a culture of humility. So here's where it begins. A heart for authentic living grows in a place or out of, a, uh, out of a, a culture of humility. And this is the type of culture we want to develop here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. Because why? Because, because we see it in the person of Jesus. We see it in the one who humbled himself and came. Because the Father asked him, all right, here's the gospel, okay? For those of you who are over here who do not know Christ, listen to me, okay? Listen, God loves you so much that he sent Christ to come. Now, Christ had everything in heaven, but he gave up everything in heaven, and he humbled himself, and he came to this earth, and he was so incredibly vulnerable, and he was so incredibly broken, both physically and emotionally and spiritually, and he did it for one reason, because he loves you, and he gave his life for you and for your sin, and if you will simply turn from your sin and turn to Christ, you can know him. This is the ultimate act of humility. It's, it's called the gospel. It is the incredible news that God has come to rescue you. And here's the, here, here's the wonderful thing that when, when God humbled Jesus for you, here's what he did. He then exalts him at the end of Philippians chapter 2 in that wonderful song that the church was singing. He exalts him to a place of incredible authority and power. And so in Jesus we see God's invitation for you to know his love, to know the Father's love. But we also see a pattern in the person of Jesus that God establishes all throughout Scripture, and that is that God will bring down those who are proud, and he will raise up those who are humble. This is the pattern. And that's why James says in James chapter 4, in verses 6 and 10, he says this, Therefore, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. 
And so here's where we need to be this morning. If we want to really begin to understand what it means to live authentically, we need to humble ourselves and to be broken before God. And here's what we normally do. Here's our normal mode of operation. We, we want to preserve and we want to maintain outward appearances. We want to make sure that we are, are well-dressed and, and, and we look good on the outside and we want to make sure that we're strong and we want to make sure that we're independent we want to make sure that people think we're well put together and that in our independence, and I can see it in some of you, honestly, I can see it in some of you, that there's this sense, don't get too close because I got it together. And, and I, don't, I, I don't need Christ as much as you think I do, and, and I don't need one another. There's something there that is holding you back. And, and in this effort to preserve and in in this effort to maintain what's on the outside, we become awfully, awfully tired. We become awfully, awfully tired. We expend a lot of energy maintaining the expectations that we have of ourselves or maintaining the expectations that others have of us or maintaining this sense of identity that we have created on the outside. And there's a sense where perhaps the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, in order for you to progress in authentic living, there must first of all be a sense of brokenness in your heart and in your life. I truly believe that. Brokenness over what? The scriptures give us at least three ideas of what brokenness, biblical brokenness looks like. There could be more, but I, I want to center on just these three things for a second here. Broken over our pride. As I read in James chapter 4, verse 6, 10, verses 6 and 10, God opposes the proud. He brings down the proud. He, he raises up the humble. Psalm chapter 18, verse 27. For you save a humble people, but the proud, the, the haughty eyes you bring down. And here's, the, here's the, the interesting thing about pride. I want you to see how far the roots of pride go. They go all the way back to Lucifer. They go all the way back to Satan. They go all the way back to this, this, this angel, this beautiful angel that God created to, to, to serve him. And instead, this, this angel called, called Lucifer has pride in his heart. He rebels against God and he's thrown out of heaven. And in the Garden of Eden, here he comes. Here he comes. Pride is what got, kicked, what, what got him kicked out of heaven. So we come to the Garden of Eden and here's, here's Adam and Eve, the very first human beings. And pride grips their heart because they want the wisdom and knowledge to be above God. Just as Satan wanted to be above God, so Adam and Eve wanted to be above God, and pride takes hold and, and brings the whole world down with them. Now sin has entered the world, and guess what? You and me, as the great, 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 great descendants of Adam and Eve, we have that same pride, that same sin inside of us. And this is why God says, here's Christ, look at this person of Jesus, humble, brought down to be exalted so you too this is how you become broken broken over your pride this authority this above godness that i want or, or this sense that i don't need christ anymore because i i'm okay that's nothing but pride and god will not use this church if there is pride in our lives, but God longs to use a church that is broken before him. Broken over our pride. Here's the second thing, broken over our sin. Psalm chapter 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. God is going to make our hearts ready to live in accordance with James. There must be a brokenness over our sin. When was the last time you and I stared squarely at the mirror of the Word of God and we saw our sin and we didn't quickly dismiss it, we didn't quickly excuse it, we didn't quickly say, if you only knew what he or she has done. 
if you only knew the context and the circumstances, God, and we go on with our daily lives, and is it any wonder that we become apathetic or we become ashamed and we hide because sin resides in our heart? There needs to be a brokenness over our sin, a sense of repenting. I, I don't know. Wow, I... I don't know where God is dealing with your heart and sin. But if you're living and you're breathing, it's there. And will you come to God perhaps this morning or perhaps today and get on your face before him and just say, okay, God, I'm abandoned you. I'm broken before you. And here's the amazing thing. That God will give great grace. I've just read it to you. A broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise these things. We want to hide from God. We want to hide from others because we're ashamed. But in the Garden of Eden, even when God dealt with sin, you know what he did? He provided a means of provision and protection there in the Garden for Adam and for Eve. He didn't leave them naked. He gave them clothes to cover them. He didn't leave them entirely without understanding that there was a way of provision. He said that there's going to come through you, Eve, a, a man. And this man, you remember that serpent, Eve, that, that helped usher in sin and evil into the world? Remember that prideful serpent? Hey, Eve, guess what? Here's a promise that from you, there's going to come a son one day. And that serpent, that evil one, is going to grab and he's going he's to catch the heel of that man. He, he's going to grab him and he's going to hurt him. But guess what? That man is going to take his heel and crush that serpent in evil. There is a way. Eve, you're forgiven. Some of you this morning need to come with a heart that is ready to be broken over your sin. John MacArthur said this, a basic mark of true spirituality is a deep awareness of sin. Do you realize that? Spiritual doesn't mean that you have it all together on the outside. Spiritual doesn't mean that you have all the knowledge. True spirituality is an understanding of the grace and the glory of God and the depth and the, and the wickedness of my sin. And not being ashamed of that and opening up your heart. There, third thing, broken over our condition. Psalm 34, verses 18 and 19. Listen to this. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Broken over our pride, broken over our sin, broken over our condition. There are some of you, and I'll try and simply say it clearly and, and succinctly, there are some of you who are in a condition in your life right now where there is nothing but the supernatural power of God that needs to step in and rescue you. You've tried, you've failed. You can't escape. What, whatever it is, I, I don't know all the situations here, but here's the bottom line. There are some of you, if you come before God broken this morning over your condition, the promise of God is such where he says, I will save those who have a contrite spirit. The Lord will be your deliverer. Now, here's where I want to get personal just for a second with you, okay? Here's the easy thing is for me to preach this to you and just say, here, take this. Here, this is, this is your life. This is, this is your life, and, and you take this and you deal with it, okay? It's easy to do that as a pastor. But I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you. I, I, I don't want to preach at you. I want to walk with you. Um, I pulled the directory out from our house. You guys have this? And... Um, here are the people of Taylor's First Baptist Church. These pictures, okay? If your picture's on here and you're, and you're beamed all across the World Wide Web today, I'm so sorry, all right? Didn't mean to do that, but here's your picture, okay? And I'll look for uh, some names and addresses in the back. We, we have it on our phones now. We have an app for that, but it's often good to go through here, and I'll look for names and people that I might not know, and um, 
I'll, I'll just look through families and I'll just see pictures of people. And this week when I did that, I was looking for, for either an address and I picked up the directory and I started looking through people and I began to ask myself, where are some of these people? And what's going on in their lives? And are they living authentically? And, and, and not in a judgmental way, not, not in a way which says, um, oh, they're such bad people. Oh, why can't they be more like me? Not at all. Here's my heart for this year, is that we see more and more of these families and more and more of these people walking with Christ. Because my heart hurts for those who are far from Christ and those whose marriages are falling apart and those whose kids, they don't know how to, how to handle their kids and those who are struggling and those who don't know Christ but come here week in and week out and those we hear, oh, we don't know where they are. I'm tired of it. I long for you to walk in great grace and I want to walk with you. And here's how this works, this brokenness stuff. You know, it's just not for people who are hurting. It's for every believer. It's for me. Um, I have the title pastor. Uh, pastor of an incredible place. Pastor of a warm body where faith, hope, and love are, where mission, gospel in, gospel out. Incredible worship times here. Incredible things going on here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. But here, here's the issue. You ready? As pastor, oftentimes, I get incredibly prideful. Remember point number one. That um, in order for us to live authentically, we have to have a heart that uh, is humble. That we live in humility. So, so I have this title, pastor, and it can be incredibly... Um, I can treat that title and treat my role in an incredibly prideful way. And here's, here's how this works. Right? I just want to walk with you. Just see, you're not alone. Okay? Put your title. What, what are you? Put your title there. Business, you know, manager, supervisor, own my own business. Mother of four. Um, what, whatever your title is. All right, that you put out there. And, and, and that is who you are. That's your identity. And I can get prideful because of, of things on the outside. Remember, we're, we're, we preserve and we maintain things and expectations on the outside. So as pastor, I have expectations of myself. And I have expectations that you place on me. And I have expectations that other people place on me. All right? And so what happens is, I, if I get real self-centered, I work awfully, awfully hard to preserve and maintain the pastor you want me to be or the pastor that I want me to be or the pastor that I think I'm supposed to be, right? And, and so when things are going really, really good, you can get inflated and, and you can become arrogant, right? As if you, as if I had anything to do with that, of the work of the Spirit. But, but I think, oh, oh, that's on the outside. That's what people will think about me. And so therefore, that, that's what I need to make sure people understand. And so I work really, really hard to make sure that perhaps I see that, I say that to myself, and I pump myself up over here. But here's on the other side, you become awfully, awfully discouraged. And when things don't go really well, or when, 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 when you're criticized, or, or when, when, when you're, you're, you're seeing things that other people are saying to you, or, or you see them yourself, and you can become awfully, awfully discouraged, and you say, well, I'm a lousy. Either way, self is at the center. Pride is at the center, because that is my identity to you, to my wife, to other people. And if I don't live up to that, somehow I am a failure on one hand, or on the other hand, I am really, really good. And either way, it's pride. Here's what God has spoken to me over the last six months. You ready? It's been amazing. The end of 2015, here's what God has said to me. Paul, quit. Now quit the church, but quit thinking you're the center of this place. Stop it. And in his gentle, gracious way, he said, I just want you to be broken. And I want you to be vulnerable. And I want you to be abandoned. And I want you to live 
recklessly with a heart that is open to me and to give your life for this place. And when you do that, I will build my church. Not you. Be broken before me. Here's the amazing thing. That when we're broken before God, God begins to work in you. And God begins to give you a grace and a strength. And God begins to give you perseverance and endurance. And God begins to give you perspective. Your perspective begins to change. Where you are no longer enslaved. Or you're no longer boxed in by that title. You are no longer enslaved and boxed in by that sin. You are no longer enslaved and boxed in by that hurt. You no longer live preserving and maintaining what's on the outside. You, by the grace of God that flows from you through the inside of broken people. Grace comes to broken people. It goes through broken people. And that is where your strength comes from. And that is what I long for you here at Taylor's. You're never stronger than when you are humanly weak, but strong in the grace that is given to you through Christ. And this is what it means to be vulnerable and broken before him. It doesn't mean to be a sissy. It means to be abandoned to the work of God. That's what I want for you this year. How do you get there? How do you begin to see this heart of humility opened up? Heart for authentic living, secondly, is developed among people in biblical community. I know we have to hurry. I'll just hit these two points and then I'll be done. Here's where this heart is developed in biblical community. Um, The agents of a broken heart in a good way, the, the biblical broken way, the agents are worship, what we do here, the word of God, the spirit of God. Those are the agents that cultivate our hearts, but then we take what God is doing and we bring them into the community. It has to happen among people. There has to be confession and vulnerability and brokenness among one another. Brokenness leads to the body. It drives us to the body of Christ. Pride and self-sufficiency run from the body of Christ, but brokenness and grace pull us into the body of Christ. And so here are the elements of a biblical community. One, there there has to be a call to Christ and his word. That is the center. We are not called just to have social relationships. We're not called just to fellowship with one another. We're not just called to to live in this, this, this gray thing called community. We're called into a community where Christ is at the center. And when we connect to Christ, all right, remember, worship the word we encounter God then drives us into community where we engage and connect with one another, Christ and his word. And then it begins to be applied. Here's the second thing. There has to be an honest application and accountability of the word of God. This is what happens when we're connected to one another. We apply the word. We're, we're honest about the word in our lives. It does you no good to take the word, go home, forget about it. And when you come back to the next week, oh, there's the word of God again. It must be applied. It must be honest. There must be honesty with one another. Who in your life, who in your life will look at you and, and say, I love you, brother, sister, but here is the word. I love you. Here's the word. Who is that? Who will cause you to to stay connected to Christ? There's the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's the agent working in you. But then among the body. Honest application and accountability of the word. And there must be leaders. Listen, there are leaders. There are people here who have what it takes to lead others in honesty, accountability, and in relationship around the word of God with one another. You have what it takes. We're ready for you to step up. Particularly, you ready for this? Particularly my generation. Particularly the boomer generation. The builder generation, which is the nine o'clock worship service. That's where they primarily go. I preached this to them last week and I'm preaching this to you. But here's here's the thing. You boomers and my generation The builders have left something behind, and it's time for leaders to step up. Otherwise, what's coming behind us 
is simply going to fade away. We're just going to see it fade. And I pray, I pray some of you will develop a heart where you'll say, I want to lead. I'm ready to lead. I'm ready to step in. I'm ready to take three or four guys and love them. I'm ready to take three or four ladies and love them. In my life group, we have 50 people in our life group. How in the world do I begin to love a few people? Can't love them all. Last yesterday in the, the men's breakfast, amazing stories of men in relationship with one another whose lives are being transformed simply because they're saying, where's Christ? Where's his word? Where's his body? Help. It's amazing. Here's the last thing. A heart for authentic living then seeks to impact those who are behind us and beyond us. I made this statement last week, and it says, here is probably my number one conviction from 2015, and really my five years here. Here's, here's perhaps my, my deepest felt conviction, is that perhaps your pastor has been so consumed to see you grow in Christ that I'm forgetting the second half of the equation, and that is, once you grow in Christ, then you go to reach others for Christ. My heart is hurting because you perhaps are hurting. You perhaps aren't growing. You perhaps are on the edges, on the margins. But then I begin to look beyond us and the impact that you can have on lost people around you and if you are hurting, and if you're not healthy, how in the world can you reach those who need Christ? If you're not, if you're not growing, and if, I'm, if we're not equipping you to engage lost people, how in the world is the gospel going get, to get to us? We, we simply become a place where the gospel comes in, but, but perhaps it's not getting out. So my prayer is that we become a body in 2016 that begins to share the gospel in a way that is, that is yes, from our hearts, but more intentional. Yes, realizing that God has put us here on this earth to grow to be like Christ, but also to make Christ known. And we cut the Great Commission in half. We cut it in half if all we are concerned about is simply teaching. All we're concerned about is simply consuming and, and making ourselves more knowledgeable and, and, and good. What good is a good Christian if a good Christian never shares his faith? What good is a healthy disciple? It's really not a healthy disciple if there's no outlet, if there's no flow for the gospel to reach other people. Your friends and, and neighbors and people, your coworkers, God has given you an opportunity to reach them. And authentic living says, yes, we are compelled by the grace of God in us to reach others. Let me close with this story. Thank you for your patience this morning, but I think this story illustrates really well uh, where we are. Tony Evans in his study Horizontal Jesus tells, uh, tells about a guy who's out in the desert and he's sweating, he's hot, he comes to this well and there's this glass of water and um, it's everything in him does what? He wants to drink that water, he's so thirsty but there's a sign that is next to the well and the, well, and the sign says this use this glass of water to prime this pump. So he has a decision to make. Either he can drink the glass of water for himself and it's gone, or he can take the glass of water and he can pour it into the, the well and he can prime the pump. And more and more water will come out. He makes a decision. And here's where you and I are. We, we have a decision. We're we, we going to come with our lives and we're just concerned about drinking the water of church, drinking the water of religion, drinking the water of all these wonderful things. 
Or are we going to come and take the water and the things that are poured into us, and are we going to prime the pump where there's more water? So he has a decision to make, and he says, okay, I'm going to take the water. Instead of drinking it, I'm going to pour it into the well, and he primes the pump, and out comes all this water, fresh water, overflowing for him so that he can drink deeply. And he's satisfied. Then he sees another sign. And the other sign says this. When you have used this water to prime the pump, then refill the water so that the next person who comes will be able to do the same thing. Isn't that good? Our job as a church, when we're broken and we come to the body and then we become a bridge, if you will, to lost people. That's all that is, taking the water and not drinking it until we pour it out and it primes the pump and the water satisfies our thirst and our longing, but the water continues to be poured through us. That's my heart for 2016. That's my heart for you. And we'll talk more throughout the book of James and on into the spring about what it means for us. But this morning as we pray, Let's begin right now. A heart, a heart broken before God, ready to be used by him. Father, will you use Colossians and will you use James and will you use the Psalms and will you use the gospel of Jesus coming and will you use our circumstances and will you wed them all together, move them all together for the sake of making us a broken, humble, confessing people? Maybe it's confessing in our hearts. Maybe it's confessing to others this morning. But Lord, will you begin to work in ways of applying the word of God to us first by your spirit and then through your body connecting with the body and then being channels even this week even this day channels of the gospel going through us but if we're prideful and if we're 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 hidden we're hiding if we're ashamed if we're not broken it won't happen so may your grace come flooding in to hurting hearts to sinful hearts May your grace come flooding in. And then may your grace go flowing out of us to become a new body for the sake and for the glory of Christ in whose name we pray, amen.